Um, if it's your first time here, it's great to have you along. These are very relaxed and interactive sessions. It's your chance to join in, and everyone's doing that in the chat room now, which is great. Good to see so many people chatting away there. Um, you can ask questions in the chat there, or over on the right-hand side, there's a little kind of uh, box with a question mark in it. You can pop a question in there as well. I'll keep an eye on those and bring them up as we go along. Uh, just to make sure the chat's working for everyone, can you all let us know what your favorite Easter egg was? Um, I didn't get one this year. Never mind. Um, yeah, look forward to seeing what your favorite Easter eggs are. This is being recorded, so a replay is going to be available afterwards if you want to come back and watch it again. And we've also started doing a podcast version of each of our online assemblies, so you can download that and listen to it at your heart's content if you want to. Um, and there's links uh, on the event page on the website. A uh, bit of advance warning for you. Um, next Wednesday, that's the 26th at 1 o'clock, we have another online assembly on what does consumer duty mean for power planners? I've uh, got some great guests coming on that one, and you'll be able to save your spot and book the event uh, on our website on Friday or look out for the links in the now booking email that's coming into your inbox uh, on Friday as well. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, go to the front page of our website, scroll down a bit, and you can do it there to keep up to date with what's going on. And don't forget, we've got our personal development power-ups for power planners on the 12th of May. Uh, we'll pop a link to that in the chat room shortly. Um, you can join on that. We've got a few tickets there for that one, so please come along if you want to. And if you want even more of Les and the MG Wealth Technical team talking about all this kind of stuff, uh, they're doing a 90-minute webinar tomorrow at 10 o'clock, um, and we'll post the link in the chat room to that as well, um, just if you really want some more of this kind of stuff. Um, we've got a poll running. Um, so if you look on the right-hand side of your screen, there's a little kind of bar chart thing there. Uh, click in there. There's a poll running to see how many of your clients are actually affected by the lifetime allowance. It'd be great if you could jump in there now and vote, uh, and then we'll see how that looks a bit later on. Right, so to today's events. Um, for the past few years, Energy Wealth has worked with us at the Assembly to put together a series of events designed just for us power planners. Uh, and it's a big thank you to them for their continued support of the Assembly this year. Um, this is the second of five events coming your way. Uh, and this one's looking at what happened in the budget. Um, there were a few surprises, particularly for pensions. I certainly didn't have the end of the lifetime allowance on my budget bingo card. Or is it the end of the lifetime allowance? Um, we shall see. Um, there's been lots of articles and questions and opinions posted since then. And the finance bill has been published uh, and the revenue has started to clarify a few things already, uh, which, which is making life a bit interesting. So we're going to do an update on the changes and then we're going to spend quite a bit of today on Q&As. We've had a fair few sent in already. And this is your chance to ask anything you like around lifetime allowance uh, and annual allowance in the chat room and then we'll bring them up as we go. So I'm really pleased to be joined by friend of the assembly and regular expert Les Cameron. Les, for people that don't know you, please introduce yourself. Hey, thanks Richard, thanks for having me back. Um, I have, I'm Les Cameron, I'm Head of Technical at MG Wealth, uh, previously Prudential. Um, amongst other things, I'm in charge of the, the MG Wealth technicians who do all their external work so maybe the, the tax tools and calculators you see, the, the content on the website, seminars, um, doing calls with advisors and paraplanners. So we kind of do all the external face and technical stuff. Uh, the best bit is um, speaking at seminars like this. And uh, even better when it's a paraplanner audience, that's our favourite audience, because yeah, we tend to get some nice, good technical questions when we've got a paraplanner audience. So be glad to be here and talking on Lifetime Allowance. 
great to have you with us. And, and Les has hot-footed it from Exeter, where he was at the Professional Paraplanner Seminar this morning. And he's sitting in an executive box at Bristol City Football Ground. Have you got any at the moment? Yes, indeed. Or Bristol Bears. Yeah. I was at Sandy Park, Exeter Chiefs Rugby this morning. So I'm now at yeah. Bristol Bears Rugby. So I'm having a rugby day. Rugby well, in lifetime. What more could a man ask? Yeah. Indeed. And good to see the uh, the favourite Easter eggs in the chat room. Uh, a nice variety there. And apologies to the people that are trying to die as well. So I didn't think of that. But, uh, there you go. Um, right. Uh, let me bring some slides up on the screen that Les has put together for us, um, which is going to give us an update on what happened in the budget um, and what's happened since as well. So, Les, I'm going to hand over to you. Thanks, Richard. I can't see anything. There we go. Learning objectives. Yeah. The, the the budget was a bit of a surprise. So based on the rumours prior the weekend before, we thought maybe the lifetime allowance would go to 1.8 million. Um, so I had an article, six press comments, and about six slides ready, having thought through what all that would look like. And then he said he was abolishing it, even though he didn't abolish it. So we'll, we'll have a talk about that. Um, talk about the lifetime allowance changes uh, in the finance bill. There's been a couple of HMRC newsletters. And then try to have a little think about how it impacts on people's planning. Uh, so, first of all, as I said, um, we got the budget. So, the budget, the high level headline was the lifetime allowance has been abolished. That wasn't correct. It's not been abolished, um, sort of thing. Then we got a finance bill. Um, we've had a pension scheme newsletter and they've started issuing lifetime allowance guidance newsletters as well to do with the whole abolition sort of thing. So we're, get, we're getting drip-fed uh, more and more information. We're, we're able to fill in some of the blanks that were there post-budget. There is still uh, a bit of known unknowns floating about. But there's a relatively decent idea of what 2324 at least looks like. Yvonne, the fundamental point, I think, that will create more understanding, if you move on, Richard, uh, the lifetime allowance has not been abolished. The lifetime allowance still exists. All that's happened, really, is that the charges at 25 and 55% have moved to zero. Everything you know and love about the lifetime allowance still exists in 23-24. There is no legislation yet to abolish it. Um, they're hoping that will be done for April 24, um, but we haven't had any um, real detail about it. The, the only thing I know um, for 24-25 is the lifetime allowance excess lump sum will disappear, um, but it will be replaced with something that looks fairly similar. Um, so if we go on to the actual lifetime allowance, what's happening, and this clears up quite a lot of the questions we've had. Um, 22, 23, as is, as was, we, we did have a chat phone. They'd had their age 75 test on the day of the budget, and they had a lifetime allowance excess and was wondering if that meant they wouldn't have a lifetime allowance charge. No, uh, 22, 23 works as it was. Uh, 23, 24, Everything's going to be working the same way it worked before. Uh, the only difference is any excesses you take um, in lifetime it will be marginal rate tax as, as opposed to the sort of 55% tax for bump sums and 25% tax if you went into drawdown or bought an annuity and then marginal rate tax in the balance. So it's all marginal rate tax in 23-24. I've got a sticking plaster there. That's a temporary measure. 
uh, before we get get to 24, 25 onwards, where uh, there's a lot more deep and detailed surgery required um, to sort of get the, the lifetime allowance actually abolished um, sort of thing. If I, if I was a betting man, I think the 23, 24 rules might be here in 24, 25, because it's, it's a fairly big deal. Uh, getting the lifetime allowance stripped out the pension tax code. But we'll wait and see. Um, I think we're going to get some sort of consultation and possibly draft legislation over the course of the summer and the autumn. Uh, so we'll have a better idea of what the actual mechanics of getting rid of the lifetime allowance is. Uh, my bet is there will be something that looks, feels and smells like the lifetime allowance, um, but it will be called something else, and, and that's what we'll do. Um, I think the lifetime allowance is mentioned 217 times in Finance Act 2004, and it's, so it's sort of it's the skeleton of the, that limit. It's the skeleton of the pension uh, tax system, really. Um, I, I've said taking the lifetime allowance out of the pension tax code is like taking a skeleton out of a human and expecting it to be able to stand on its own two feet still. That, that's how sort of crucial it is to the whole system. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how we get 24, 25 um, just beyond. Just a couple of questions, Les, yeah. if, if you uh -huh. don't mind. Just on, on the poll, actually, first of all, it was about uh, oh, 30% said not to 5% of clients were affected. 30% said over 25 uh, over 20%, sorry, and the rest was kind of split equally. So that's interesting. Well, at least um, five, John, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. prior to all the DB transfer activity, as I said, those numbers would have been probably lower. It wasn't mm -hmm. that much, much of an issue, but obviously there's quite a lot of big DB transfers come out that are causing lifetime allowance issues and obviously the continual reduction. So that the number of lifetime allowance queries we've had into the team has basically been increasing since 2014. It was a relatively niche topic, but it's becoming a bit more mainstream. So I'm not surprised at least one in five um, have got some form of lifetime allowance issues. Yeah, John, John posted a question. Is it a trick question? Um, so now that from 6th of April, nobody will face a lifetime allowance charge. I think you've probably answered that because the lifetime allowance is still there. The excess charge is still there. It's just been zero rated. Yeah, it's, zero, yeah. it's marginal rate tax now. Yeah, so you will get taxed on your excess over the lifetime allowance. It's just going to be marginal rate tax instead of the lifetime yeah. allowance charge. Yeah. Yeah. Are benefit crystallisation events dead? Well, no, they're not. <laughs> they're no, still they're there. not. Yeah, you'll still get asked for lifetime allowance information. Provider will still send you how much lifetime allowance you've used. If you're somebody reaches age 75, you'll still have an age 75 test. Um, you'll get annually reported. You'll get your annual reporting of LTAUs. The only thing that's changed is the tax charges went to zero and replaced with marginal rate tax. Everything else is as is. Yeah, that's brilliant. You answered Wendy's question about will the age 75 test still go ahead while she was typing it. So yeah, my understanding is that under the way it's structured now, yeah, if you get to yeah. 75 tomorrow, there's still a, there's still a test. The, re the revenue did suggest if there was areas of a lifetime allowance administration and management that we consider to be irrelevant or not of any use, um, we could take a risk-based approach to whether to do it or not. But when asked if we would still get fined for not doing it, um, they were quiet on it. So that means that everything is going to be as is. <laughs> yeah, so to speak. Okay, brilliant. 
lots of good questions coming up. I'm going to save some of those um, just for a bit later when we get to kind of the right uh, point. But uh, a couple of people have asked a, a political question, really. Why was it done this way? And I think you've touched on that already. Um, do you want to maybe just expand a bit on why it was done this way, why you think it was done this way? Why it was done this way? I don't know. I think they wanted a headline. <laughs> Obviously, the, the, the focus was on the NHS and keeping highly paid NHS staff and stopping them retiring. Um, sort of thing. I, I couldn't tell you why they did it this way. I'd, I'd have, I think they've did it this way as I moved to zero because they understood it would be a significant change and the industry needs time to adapt for a significant change. So I think that sort of year's breathing space, this is a simple way to do it, um, sort of thing, where we tweak to death benefit rules, uh, pending, obviously, stripping, as I said before, lifetime allowance is mentioned 217 times in Finance Act. Uh, having pension tax system that works when you're taking 217 mentions of a lifetime allowance out is going to take a long time to get right. But this kind of delivers the intent without doing anything overly major. That's probably why yeah. um, they did it this I've way. I've read a few comments about it saying that, you know, announcing a 0% tax rate is a nice thing to do as a chancellor. Um, and also about the fact that um, Labour have come out when we're coming to this or Labour have come out so they're going to reverse it um, and so it kind of makes it easier for Labour to reverse um, if it's yeah. just changing I, the tax. I don't, I don't believe we can reverse it but we can get to that later. Yeah we will indeed. Um, right excellent questions keep them coming and, and we'll get to them a bit later on so I'll move on to the next slide for Liz. Yeah um, death benefits quite an important change here. Um, I thought there was a loophole in the bill but it turns out no this is what they intend. Um, in 22-23, if you had an excess over the lifetime allowance and it was taken as a lump sum, it's a 5% tax charge. Um, if you took drawdown or an annuity, there was a 25% tax charge and the income was tax-free. At 23-24, obviously the lifetime allowance charges are going to zero. Uh, the income tax on a lump sum is going to marginal rate, but the income tax on because they've specifically legislated for that, that's in finance bill, um, the income tax on your drawdown death benefits is staying the same way, i.e. tax-free. Uh, long story short, nobody should take a lump sum if it's over the lifetime allowance. They should ask for an income option for a pre-75 death because there's no LTA charge and there's no tax on the income. You could immediately then ask for an income payment of 100% of your fund I said I thought it's a loophole that would get closed, but I don't think it is. That's the intention. That's what it's going to look like for 23-24. What it looks like 24-25, who knows? Um, the, um, so that, I think that is quite a key thing. The other thing is, well, when do BCEs happen on death? They don't happen on death. Uh, seven is a lump sum. Uh, BCE 5 Cs going into drawdown and 5Ds buying an annuity. The actual benefit crystallisation events happen when the lump sum is paid, the drawdown is designated, or the annuity purchase price, or you become entitled um, to the annuity purchase price. So you don't need to take the drawdown income, but as long as it's been designated as a drawdown pot, eh, that's when you've got your BCE. So even if you died in 23, eh, 22, 23, you're getting kind of LTA tested in 23-24, which means lump sums, marginal tax, uh, drawdowns, no tax. What uh, is up for grabs, if, if we kick on, Richard, 
Um, Can I just actually it... fire you another question on that one yeah. while you're just on yeah. this slide? So we did have a question come in saying about what happened if someone died in the last few months with a, an LTA excess and they hadn't made a decision on the death benefit. So you've answered that. So it comes under the, the post 6th of April regime. Um, but a follow up question was um, previously on death where there was a lifetime allowance excess, the beneficiaries were equally liable for the tax. How does it work now? And what should we look out for? Yes, <laughs> uh, this is one of the, the, the revenue came out with a guidance newsletter. Oh, um, we can go to the next slide, actually, because I was just about okay. to answer these two questions on the next slide. Oh, right. sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's still there. This whole concept of the tax is going to get apportioned um, equitably between people. The revenue initially said um, what we had to do as providers um, was our pension schemes was go to the personal representative and say, we're about to pay £400,000 as a drawdown death benefit. And personal representatives were meant to say to us, well, nobody else has told us what they're paying. So we would go, okay, we're assuming the full lifetime allowance is available and pay it out tax-free. Uh, or they would say, well, another scheme's already told us they're paying an £800,000 lump sum. So we'd be saying, oh, there's only... To 200,000 odd of the lifetime allowance left, so we'll need to tax some of these benefits, which was a complete and utter sea change from what happens currently. So what happens currently is all the, the benefits pre-75 are paid without any tax. The personal representatives tell the revenue if there's an excess, and then the revenue kind of find the beneficiaries and split the tax um, equitably across everybody. So the revenue quickly said after a meeting with the industry, okay, we see that's an issue. So we're going to just continue, pay out gross, personal reps tell us if there's an excess, and then we'll go and find the tax from somewhere. Haven't the faintest idea how they're going to do that. How do you, if somebody takes an excess as a lump sum and somebody took part of the excess as a drawdown, how do you equitably apportion marginal rate tax across two different beneficiaries? What if you two schemes and one paid in a million pounds a lump sum in 22-23 and one put you into drawdown in 23-24? What does that look like? That's two different beneficiaries. Your drawdown beneficiary who's thinking no tax, are they going to have to pay some of the 55% for the lump sum that was paid in 22-23? All those sorts of questions are all up in the air. We've got no real idea of how uh, the revenue are going to tax it. From a practical point of view, um, if drawdown is available, going into drawdown is the best outcome because it's definitely going to be tax-free. If there's any other benefits about, there might be tax coming along, but that's kind of where you are at the moment. They all go in tax-free. The revenue might turn up and ask for more tax. So it's a long-winded way of saying, when I mentioned known unknowns at the beginning, this is largely the biggest known unknown, how they're going to treat excess benefits. If it's crossing tax years, multiple beneficiaries, multiple schemes, we don't know essentially how that's going to work. 
Yeah, I can see some tricky uh, cases coming up, uh, and I bet that finds its way into an exam as a case study as well. Um, pretty soon. Yeah. So that 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 was just to, this side was just to kind of make the point really that the, the existing process where the scheme pays out tells the personal reps, the personal reps are responsible for telling the revenue if the total death benefits are over available lifetime allowance, and then the revenue will approach the beneficiaries for tax. How they're going to decide how much tax each beneficiary pays is still up for grabs. Because there's just multiple beneficiaries, multiple schemes, and we could be dealing with multiple tax years as well. Which and what happens twenty four, twenty five? Having a clue. Yeah, I guess there will be some form of limit where you aren't getting tax free benefits over it. <laughs> um, sort of thing. Yeah, this PCLS was quite a lot of questions on PCLS tax free cash lump sum. Um, if you if you search on CityWire under my name in Tax Free Lump Sum, you'll find an article that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, this is the highlights. Um, the PCLS rules remain. Uh, your standard PCLS rule is you're allowed to lower of 25% of the fund value, kind of the amount crystallising for lifetime allowance purposes, which is called the applicable amount, and 25% of your remaining LTA, which is called your available portion. So we basically, we know everybody's lifetime allowance um, for 23-24, which means we know the maximum tax-free cash. The, the headline was tax-free cash is capped at whatever the number is, 268-275 or something. Um, that's not really the case. Your tax-free cash is capped at that number, if you've got 100% of your lifetime allowance available and you're on the standard lifetime allowance, because the LTA rules, which dictate how much tax-free cash you get, are still here, remember. Your LTA is intertwined with tax-free cash, so it'll all be different amounts depending on different circumstances. If we crack on with the other slide, Richard. Sure. Yeah, so here's an example. Jill, um, no protection. Uh, she's had 573,100 of her LTA used up. Um, she didn't take any tax-free cash from her BB scheme, which is an entirely sensible thing to do most of the time. Uh, so she's got £600,000 of benefits to take, which by definition means she's got £100,000 lifetime allowance excess. So her PCLS is a quarter of 600, i.e. the available uh, amount, the applicable amount, or 25% of however much lifetime allowance she's got remaining, exact same as the 22-23 rules that apply in 23-24. So she's only allowed £125,000, even though they're saying your maximum tax-free cash is 268275 That's not true. Your maximum tax-free cash is the exact same as it's always been, a quarter of the amount you're crystallising or a quarter of your available lifetime allowance. It's not got changed to a monetary amount. It's still percentage-based, capped at the percentage of the lifetime allowance you've got available. So if we move on, like we kind of know everybody's we know everybody's limits. So that's what you can see that slide later. If you've got fixed protection 12 and you've not used any of your lifetime allowance, you're looking at 25% of 1.8 million. If you've already used £900,000 of your lifetime allowance, you're looking at 25% of £900,000. The kind of quirky ones, um, the enhanced protection. Enhanced protection, if you had, if you applied for enhanced protection back in 2000 and 
between 2006 and 2009, uh, you weren't allowed to contribute to your pension after 2006. And if your tax-free cash on the 5th of April 2006 was more than £375,000, you get a percentage on your certificate. Um, it's the percentage of that fund and 5th of April 2023 you're allowed now. Uh, before these changes, you were allowed that percentage every time you took money, um, sort of thing. So that's capped at your your uncrystallised funds in April 23, and a standalone lump sum uh, that applied to occupational schemes, where you were allowed all your fund as tax-free cash on the 5th of April 2006. Um, that's also going to get capped at the 5th of April 2023 value. Uh, they need to actually change the law on standalone lump sums to allow that to happen. That's not been done. I'm expecting that to get added to the bill because to pay a standalone lump sum, you have to uh, crystallise all benefits in the scheme in a single BCE. And obviously, if you're capped at a fund value of X, which leaves you even a pound left, you can't pay it all out in a single BCE and extinguish all your benefits. So there needs to be some technical changes done in the standalone lump sum. They're quite rare, um, to be fair, but it's just something they'll need to be aware of. Sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Scheme-specific tax-free cash following the theme, the lifetime allowance still exists. The charges have only went to zero. So if you do have somebody... Um, they get current value of five seven three one hundred with tax free cash of three hundred thousand, so about I don't know fifty eight percent. You can still get your three hundred thousand because that's what you're allowed. That's over the two six. I keep forgetting the number two six eight seven two five or whatever it is. Um, but if you've crystallised five seven three one hundred, you've still got five hundred thousand pounds of your lifetime allowance left. So if you've got any more money. You can get up to 25% of that lifetime allowance you've got remaining. So just forget the fact that there's a monitor, a cap of 268. That's just nonsense. Basically, what you can get is what you could always have got, and that's based on the lifetime allowance limit, what protection you've got, and sort of fund value availability and lifetime allowance usage. That's how it works. 24, 25, don't know whether it looks, smell, and feel something like this. I suspect it will. Yeah, I, quite a lot of excitement about people starting to pay in their pensions again. Um, the people with fixed and enhanced protection um, had to stop contributing before the relevant dates, 2006, 2012, 2014, 2016. What they've basically said was, if you'd applied for protection prior to the budget and you've still got it from 6th of April 23, it's impossible to lose enhanced and fixed protection if you applied for it before the budget. You can create a new arrangement to accrue benefits. You can pay contributions in. You can do an unpermitted transfer. You can have relevant benefit accrual. All the things that used to make you lose protection just won't happen anymore. People being out the out the pension market for at least seven years are now coming back into their pensions market with full carry forward available because by definition they haven't been paying in since 2016 at the latest sort of thing. Uh, the key point I guess is you can still apply for fixed protection 16 so it is possible to apply for fixed protection 16. That gives you a 1.25 million lifetime allowance 
and you will be entitled to the higher tax-free cash based on the 1.25 million. The difference with you, though, is you can lose your protection in the way you've always been able to lose your protection. So it's entirely possible you apply for fixed protection, you get your higher tax-free cash, take your higher tax-free cash entitlement, and then you can start paying into your pension again because you don't rewrite the past when you lose your protection. If you had it when you did it, it stays on un, un, kind of unchanged sort of thing. So that's just a, a wee thing to think about. People said, what about individual and primary protection? Uh, people with individual and primary protection have always been able to pay into their pension and keep their... So there wasn't need, a need for anything specific for that. Um, if remember, there is a, bit, a quirky bit with the individual and primary, though. If I've got my order of slides right, yes. <laughs> uh, by definition, primary protection and individual protection, you will have a higher PCLS entitlement uh, because you'll have a higher personal lifetime allowance and it's based on 25. For both primary protection and individual protection, if you get divorced, uh, your protection can get reduced or lost. So if you do actually get divorced and you've got primary protection and individual protection, your ability to take that higher tax-free cash amount will get reduced, um, sort of thing. So if you've got individual protection that's sitting at 1.4 million and you get divorced and you end up, it might your protected amount gets reduced to below the standard lifetime allowance. Your your one quarter of 1.4 millions went away. You'll just be going back onto the standard rules. So. Loss or reduction of primary and or individual protection will reduce your tax-free cash. Uh, loss of any of the other protections, which you can't do anymore, wouldn't. Yeah. What's the five percent offset there in the individual protection, Liz? Oh, ask me obscure stuff. Uh, basically, you, if you're, if you're, if your individual protected amount gets reduced. There's an allowance you're allowed five percent per annum from when you got it, so it won't get reduced by that much. I think so. How do you explain this? So I think if you get reduced by fifty percent, and there's five five percent per tax year from when you were allowed it, instead of getting reduced by fifty percent of it, you'll only get reduced by fifty percent less thirty five percent. Does that make sense? No. Yeah. <laughs> they basically instead of in your relevant amount reduced by the full amount of your pension of the pension share, you're, you're allowed to offset five percent per tax year. So instead of getting, they take half your pension away and it's seven hundred grand. Instead of reducing your your protected amount by seven hundred thousand, there'll be a number lower than that, which is based on five percent per tax year. Um, on the Pro Advisor website, if you go into the pension and divorce, there's an example there. I think. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so the next question. So as uh, pension commencement lump sum that big a deal, why would you bother funding beyond the lifetime allowance if you can't get any tax-free cash beyond the lifetime allowance? Um, tax-free cash isn't the biggest benefit of the pension tax system. Uh, tax-free cash is a minor benefit that basically... The biggest benefit of the pension tax relief system is the ability to get tax relief at a higher marginal rate than the marginal rate of tax when you take your money out. Uh, so if you look at the left-hand side here, just if you've got £100 under the lifetime allowance and you've got a higher rate taxpayer on the way in, it costs you £60, yeah? Um, but on the way back out, if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you get £85. 
Uh, so it's only kind of five pounds out of that twenty-five pounds gain that's actually tax-free cash. Eighty percent of your tax relief profit there is caused by you going in at a higher rate and coming out at basic rate, uh, and that's six out of seven higher rate taxpayers are in that position. So would you fund beyond the lifetime allowance, knowing you weren't going to get tax-free cash? If we look at the right-hand side, this is a hundred pounds over the lifetime allowance. Um, it's still only costing you £60 uh, to get your money, to, to get your £100 in because you're a higher rate taxpayer. But if you come out in the basic rate, you're going to get £80 back because you've got no tax-free cash. That's a 33% return on your money. It's still worth funding beyond the lifetime allowance if there's no lifetime allowance charges there, even though you don't get tax-free cash because you can generate benefit. And if you think about it, if you're a higher rate taxpayer on the way in and a higher rate taxpayer on the way out, it's a bit like an ISA. If you put £60 in an ISA, you get £60 back out. Your pension, you put £60 in, you'll get £60 back out. But your pension's got a higher allowance. Your pension isn't in your estate for IHT, etc., etc. So there is still a, a benefit um, of doing that. If you're dropping a tax rate, there's a really good benefit. The only thing I would mention was obviously... You can empty your ISA and you don't need to worry about going over a tax band or any of that sort of thing. But if you're fairly confident you will empty your pension in at least the same tax band as what you've been in for, then I don't think there is a, that there's a big deal about funding beyond the LTA, even though tax-free cash doesn't exist beyond the LTA. I like the way you put that. That's, that's really well put. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the and then it's obviously well everybody's just going to uh, pile all their money into pensions for passing on uh, wealth. Um, these are Mark's slides. I'm sure he'll do them much more justice uh, tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, but I had a flick through them, and I think I know where he's going. And we did have a chat about it. Um, it's the same kind of principle. Could you fund beyond the LTA to to get your uh, money to the next generation? So Brian here has a higher rate taxpayer. Um, he's used up all his lifetime allowance. He's got £20,000 of disposable income. Uh, he hasn't got any nil rate band left because he's been doing his trust planning. Um, his beneficiaries are likely to be basic rate taxpayers on death. So let's have a look at this. Uh, is If he does nothing with the £20,000, dies before 75 with an IHT problem, uh, the family net £12,000. Um, if he puts that £20,000 in his pension, um, he's a higher rate taxpayer, Brian, so he'll get a £5,000 net reduction in his tax bill. So his estate's basically 5000 bigger than it should be. Um, taking off IHD at 40% leaves £3,000 in the estate. But he's got £25,000 in his pension. No LTA, well, LTA excess at 0%. So there's £25,000 income tax-free. So he's got the option to do nothing and give the family £12,000 if he's going to die before 75, uh, put it in the pension and, and the family um, will get £28,000. So yes, our pension is good for intergenerational wealth transfer. Yeah, they're very, very good. Uh, and the kind of the numbers don't lie. Dying after 75 is a slightly different story. Uh, but still um, a, a significant difference uh, in what would happen if you just left it festering in your 
in your bank account and not doing something with it, putting in your pension. It gives you more money. But I think there's three options. Put it in your pension to pass on. Uh, you'll get tax relief, might make your estate bigger. Uh, you can still get the money back if you want it. Uh, probably pass more money to the beneficiaries. Uh, just follow the numbers through, see how you go. Other option is, well, pay it into your beneficiaries' pension. That sort of thing. So that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, so if we move on. So this is uh, this is paying it into um, the daughter's pension, Brianna, instead. Uh, and it, it turns out she's a 45% taxpayer and she gets the money out uh, with no PCLS. So kind of worst case scenario. Um, if she does get PCLS, instead of the 12000 from the estate, she'll get 16563 uh, without PCLS, um, she'll get 13750 so more money. Obviously, the benefit of putting in somebody else's pension is they get the tax relief. They might be in a higher tax band than the person that's trying to do the IHT planning. Just because you're doing IHT planning doesn't mean you're a higher or an additional rate taxpayer. Brianna can get the money out from 57 um, if you try to get your money out and your pension to Brianna, you'll need to take it out at your tax rate and then make a gift. So that's not necessarily going to be the good. So you just say, don't let the tax tail wag the actual what outcome you're trying to achieve, the suitability dog. Um, so there is different tax outcomes where you put it in your pension, where you put it in your child's pension. Both of them are quite good and should make the next generation richer. Uh, you shouldn't really ignore standard trust planning, though. Um, because if the, the plan is you want to out your estate, but you want to be able to give the money <laughs> to the beneficiary before 55 or, or whatever without making a further gift, then you need to kind of do standard IHT planning. But the removal of the lifetime allowance tax charges, the, the move to marginal rate tax and death definitely makes uh, it's kind of supercharging the, the pension um, as an intergenerational wealth transfer vehicle. But don't overlook. Uh, the outcomes you're actually trying to achieve or overlook putting it in uh, your intended beneficiary's pension instead, because remember, they'll get a quarter of it tax-free, maybe, uh, instead of all of it at marginal rate tax um, sort of thing. So multiple options, pensions are quite good. And abolishing the LTA, uh, as I said at the beginning, I think, or it may have been this morning at the beginning, I can't remember, <laughs> uh, there is 217 mentions of Lifetime Allowance and Finance Act it's inextricably linked uh, with the benefits types you can pay. Uh, like an, an uncrystallized fund pension lump sum can only be paid before 75 if it's within the lifetime allowance. So the lifetime allowance is that's one example of the lifetime allowance um, impacting the type of benefits that can be paid. Or um, Death benefits are only tax-free up to the lifetime allowance. You're only allowed a quarter of your lifetime allowance as tax-free cash. So it also kind of dictates the types of payments that can be made. It also dictates the taxation of payments. Um, it's mentioned 217 times. We didn't even bother attempting to count how many times that it's in all the secondary legislation, all the statutory instruments. It'll probably be more than 217. It's going to be a massive, massive job taking the lifetime allowance out of the pension tax system. And we haven't got any clue about how they're going to do it other than the lifetime allowance excess lump sum won't exist, but it all looks, smell and feel suspiciously like the current one. What they're doing with the rest of it, I don't know. 
um, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then with Labour, uh, so Labour immediately said, uh, we're going to reverse it. Uh, I don't think they are. Uh, I'll tell you for why. <laughs> it would blow up the tax system. You can't have a future government going back to a previous tax year and changing what happened then. Uh, that would just cause chaos. No civil servant worth their money advising a minister would allow them to blow up the tax system. It would just be anarchy if a future government could say, no, we didn't like that 40% tax last year. We'd rather it was 42, so we're going to take an extra 2% off of you. I mean, these are the four key things that have changed. The lifetime allowance charge is going to zero. PCLS getting capped and protected as you get higher. This fixed protection loss of that. And then the death benefit changes. Um, I think these will work in 23-24 the way they work. Um, I cannot see anything you do getting reversed. If anything, it could get reintroduced. So I can see a place where, yeah, you did pay into your pension when you had protection in 23-24. We're not going to allow that anymore from 25-26. If you pay in your pension, you'll lose your protection and you'll suffer it all. They might come back and put the lifetime allowance in at 107-3-100. They might come back and say, do you know what? If we brought the lifetime allowance back at 1.8 million, that would do away with fixed protection, individual protection, make everything easy. Politically, we could say we reversed what they did, but it'll be a reintroduction. I can't see anything being reversed, only reintroduced. If they tried to reverse it, we also believe the European Court would be able to overturn it. Somebody who put their excess into drawdown at 0% LTA this year. Labour's not going to come in and say, well, you should have paid 25, so we want 25%. That is not going to happen. I'm retiring if it happens. Um, I guess they might, um, they might even bring in some kind of new protection for people that have actually, you know... Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's yeah, I think I cover that next. Um, on my next, yeah, my next slide, so Yeah, aye. So, so these, these are the things you could do. Um, so you could pay a contribution where you have protection. Are they going to come in in 24, 25 or 25, 26 and say, you pay the pension contribution in 23, 24, we're taking your protection, your protection off you? I highly doubt they will do that. They might reintroduce um, the protection loss for future contributions and leave you with your protected LTA. I suspect that is the most likely outcome. Okay, the LTA is back. Stop contributing, you're back to where you are. Uh, you might have deliberately funded your pension beyond the LTA, thinking, well, LTA charges are away. away. Tax-free cash isn't the most valuable thing when you consider inheritance tax and dropping a tax rate and all that. So you've, you've went in and you've funded beyond the lifetime allowance. Uh, do they bring the lifetime allowance back with a new protection regime for the people who are going to be over 107.3, 100? Uh, can he see it? Um, bring it back at 1.8, maybe. Um, I think their favoured approach is uh, NHS-specific scheme, which we could talk about for an hour. Is it all NHS employees, or is it just doctors, or just consultants, or the dentists included, or the senior accountants included, or is it only a special job within the NHS that's going to be protected sort of thing? So I, th I think a sector-specific scheme 
I think seems a bit uh, challenging, but we'll see where we go. But that seems to be what their favourite is. So I think these are potentially the people uh, that might lose out um, if you funded beyond the LTA, thinking it was a good deal, and the LTA gets brought back and you end up paying lifetime allowance charges or probably kill, kill your benefit and kill your death benefit planning. So I, th I think these are the sort of people that are potentially going to lose out if it's reintroduced, because I don't think it'll get reversed um, sort of thing. But if you can get all your excess into drawdown before the eve of the first Labour budget, um, I think you should be okay because all your drawdown gets marginal rate tax and you only have to deal with the growth in your drawdown because you'll at your next BCE, whether it's a new purchase scheme pension, transfer to QROPs at age 75, you'll be dealing with the growth in your excess, not all your excess. And a year and a half is a long time in politics. People have, people have forgot about this. There'll be other things that are more pressing, that sort of thing. Um, taking your excess as a lump sum in 23-24 at marginal rate tax. What are Labour going to do? Are they going to reverse that action, saying, no, that should have been 55, we want more money off you because you only paid 45? No, that action will just get left as it is. There's not going to be any retrospective reassessing you at 55%. I think the exact same principle applies. Uh, designating excess to draw down above the LTA 0% tax, they're not going to come back and say, Oh, that should have been twenty-five. We told you we were reversing it. We're going to tax it. The, just the concept of a future government changing the taxation of what happened in the previous tax year from another government's legislation just isn't something that's worth um, thinking about because it does literally blow up the tax system. All sitting governments will be beholden to the opposition saying we don't like that. We're going to do something different. That's not a world any right. Minding Treasury official is going to allow the tax system to get to. Sort of thing. Just on, on the last point you've got there about designating the excess, um, the Paul's put a comment saying, does it suggest then that crystallising is 100% essential before the next election? Not before the next election, before the next post, the next budget after the election, but yes, I think so. Um, I think that minimises the political risk of the reintroduction of the lifetime allowance in some way, shape or form. You will know all the contributions you put in to fund beyond the lifetime allowance will be marginal rate tax because they're in drawdown. You'll only need to deal with the growth on your drawdown pot. I think the next slide, if I remember correctly, Richard, something to think about though. Um, if you do want to get your excess into drawdown, it means you have to have used up 100% of your lifetime allowance. So getting that excess into drawdown, it could result, oh, I've been getting that number right, <laughs> it could result in 268,000, 275,000 uh, being in your estate, which if you've got an IHT issue is £107,000 and a 25% LTA charge would be better. So I think if you are, I think fill your boots with as much contributions as you think is sensible and getting everything into drawdown on the eve of the next budget, I think mitigates the political risk of the, the lifetime alliance being reintroduced um, sort of thing. But you just have to bear in mind that if, if you've had to vest some money uh, to get to your excess, because you can't just say put my excess in and leave my bit below the lifetime allowance unvested, uh, you just have to have a think through what that tax free cash might look like on death and whether you kind of 
kill your planning basically by avoiding a lower tax charge <laughs> if it was reintroduced at 25 and marginal rate sort of thing. Just a follow-up question on this one. So um, I'm going to paraphrase this one. If a client has got more than the um, lifetime allowance in their fund at the moment, let's forget protections for a minute. If they crystallise up to the lifetime allowance, or if they had crystallised up to the lifetime allowance, can they still crystallise the lifetime allowance excess, put it into drawdown, but not take any benefits? Yes, drawdown nil income. You've had a BCE, lifetime allowance exists. Um, you have an excess, your charge is zero, and you will pay marginal rate tax on anything you take out. Don't take anything out. Okay. Drawdown, drawdown nil income for excesses is the minimum you should do if you've used up 100% of your lifetime allowance already. I think. Right, right so okay. to think about uh, funding. I think there's a click here if I built it right. Or sorry, if Mark uh, built it. I, I think I've destroyed your build, I'm afraid. So oh. this is all you're going to get. Right, okay. Um, I think the you might have stopped paying into your pension because you're protected. Um, so you might start again. Uh, I was speaking to an advisor. I think it was last week, they had a client with 1.8 million fixed protection. They haven't had very good fund performance, um, so they're sitting at a 1.4 million fund using an annual allowance available, maximising their pension contributions for 23, 24 to get them closer to that 1.8 million. Entirely fine, yeah. Uh, you might have stopped funding because you were, you were projecting to be over the lifetime allowance. You didn't like the look of excess benefits with LTA charges and marginal rate tax, it didn't look worth it. So you might have stopped funding because you didn't like the look of post-LTA pension benefits, but yeah, with the changes in lifetime allowance, the it might look better now. Funding beyond the lifetime allowance might not look too bad, so you might start again. Uh, People might be at a contribution level where they're targeting being at the LTA by the time they take their money. They might want to increase it. Uh, people might be paying in knowing they're over the lifetime allowance anyway because they understand the net benefit is king, not the gross benefit, and the net benefit is still worth it after LTA charges. They can keep cracking on. They're in a better world. Uh, because the LTA charges that they were accepting to get to the net benefit are going away, uh, which means they'll be even richer. So I think there's that to think about uh, funding-wise. And it's a combination of all three. Lifetime allowance, where are you going to be? Are you going to be over? Are you going to be under? If you're going to be over, it's not so bad, bad a place now. Are you going to fund more? If you're under, are you going to? F you have to decide, well, I'm, I'm projecting under. Uh, I can pay in again, whether it's protection stopping you, you didn't like, whatever. Um, you think to yourself, well, am I still going to just fund to the lifetime allowance or am I, am I, or am I going to fund to get myself over it? That's the sort of decision you're going to have to make. And then just think about what your current position is. Um, if you've already used up 100% of your lifetime allowance, maximising funding and then making sure you're going to draw down prior to the first post-budget, uh, post-labour election victory budget kind of looks sensible. You think about it a wee bit more if you've got lots of lifetime allowance left because of that putting the tax-free cash into your estate 
that might be something you can think about in, in the overall round. And then if, I suppose if you've got a mix of vested and unvested money, thinking, right, am I going to put in more money? Am I going to get that unvested amount into uh, sort of drawdown before the next budget? These sort of things. So I think when you, if you think of it just, them all, the, each individual position. I've stopped because of my protection. I'm projecting under the LTA. I haven't taken any benefits yet. It's one type of story. I've used up 1.4 million. I had 1.8 million. So I've still got some lifetime allowance left. My protection. Yeah, let's get another £400,000 worth in sort of thing. So I think that's the sort of things you need to be thinking about and for 23, 24. But I I think there's a window for advice between now and the first post-election Labour budget where maximising contributions based on uh, where you're going to get your money uh, and sort of getting your excesses into drawdown probably takes away a lot of the political risk. I think that the one danger of putting your excess, say, you, say you're at 1.4 million, you haven't got any protection, uh, the, you've got a 200,000 drawdown excess. If you popped that into drawdown and, the, and what Labour did was say, well, we're reintroducing the lifetime allowance at 1.8 million, you might not have any tax-free cash because it's in drawdown, you kind of get tax-free cash out of drawdown pots sort of thing. So I think there's, there's that slight um, issue. Um, if you've already used 100% of your lifetime allowance, if the if the lifetime allowance is reintroduced at 1.8 million, I think they'll say you've used 100%. There's no more tax-free cash. But if you're sitting with somebody and you basically use up 100% of your lifetime allowance to get that excess into drawdown that, that is theoretically possible, you might be shooting yourself in the tax-free cash foot, um, sort of sort of thing. Uh, but who knows that the future is um, what the future is. I suspect if they reintroduce something, they'll keep the tax-free cash limits where they are, um, sort of thing. They might say, well, reintroducing a lifetime allowance at 1.8 million, but your tax-free cash is capped at 25% of 107.3, 100, um, sort of thing. But definitely a window okay. for it. And Google 1992 election, Neil Kinnock, see how that worked out, because he was yeah. on to be the next Prime Minister and he lost. So... Not necessarily there's, a great, there's a great video of, of the, the rally the night before here in Sheffield at the Sheffield Arena, 10,000 people with Neil Kinnock going a bit crazy. And it, it didn't turn out that way, did it? So. Yeah, the, the, in the morning of the election, the Sun had a picture of Neil Kinnock with a light bulb over his head saying, if yeah. this man wins the election, can the last person to leave Britain please turn the lights out, please? And then we got another four or five years of John Major when it was odds on Labour were going to be the next government. Uh, so it's not necessarily next year. The window of advice could be next year plus five. Indeed. Right, let's let's rattle through some questions then. We're, we're not going to have time for all of them, so I might have to persuade Les to maybe give us some written answers we can put on the blog. Um, so um, does this change anything for small pot lump sums? No. Small pots operate as is. They will not use up your lifetime allowance. Small pots don't generate tax-free cash. Okay. Just the first 25% is taxed at zero. That's not tax-free cash. Okay, excellent. This seems like an IHT planning bonanza. Is that the case? 
Indeed, but remember what you're attempting to do. Look at this, the circumstances of when they want the money to go to the next generation. If they want to go the money to go to the next generation before they're 57, then you can't use a pension to do it. Sort of thing. You might have to do some standard IHT planning as well. But all things being equal, uh, if you want your children to get the money when you're dead, uh, put them through the pension looks good. But remember to get your nominations right to make sure they can use drawdowns so they're not getting all that out at marginal rate tax in the one go. And we haven't even touched on the annual allowance today, so we might have to come back and do another session on that. So it, it's not just a case of a free-for-all chucking what you like. Well, yeah, yeah, I got asked this morning, should you just fling in £100,000 to hell of an annual allowance, basically? Is that, or put a hundred, I always say follow £100 and see where you end up. Put in £100 over the annual allowance. You effectively, you've got a 40% tax charge. It's costing you 140 quid to get 100 pounds in your pension, which is then going to lose marginal rate tax. I suspect you can get that 100. You could just then take that 100 pounds and give it directly to somebody or put it in a trust. They'll get 100 pounds. That doesn't make sense to me. I think you just need to follow the money. I think you can do that with most of the planning. Follow 100 pounds, doing it that way, that way, and that way, and see where the net benefit lands, and you'll probably find the right answer. So I, I still think you'll constrain yourself to the annual allowance and probably the amount that generates tax relief. Um, sort of thing. I don't think there'll be a let's all put lots of money in your pension. Plus, remember, uh, pension contributions need reported to the revenue if you made them two years prior to your death. And if the pattern doesn't look as if it's something you've always been doing, uh, they'll treat it as a transfer of value. Yeah, indeed. Um, so who loses out from all this? Nobody. Uh, well, I suppose <laughs> everybody that the billion pounds a year could have been spent on otherwise. Okay. Well, the people that, people that, from Budget 21 to Budget 23, the people that are gaining the most are power planners and financial planners because there's a tax planning bonanza given the corporation tax increase, the CGT reduction, and this lifetime allowance stuff. It's never been a better time to be a technical person or trying to plan somebody's finances in a tax-efficient way. Indeed. It's good to be a nerd. I'm proud of that. Um, yeah, people that said, um, uh, is it being recorded? Yes, this is recorded. Uh, later on this afternoon, there'll be a, a replay available on the website. Um, right. We have quite a few long questions, which, which I will share with Les, um, and we'll get those published up on, yeah. on, the, um, on the website, which I think are probably cases that are on the go at the moment, so uh, we can help with those. Um, no, I don't think it has got royal assent yet, Paul. Is that right, Les? Uh, sorry, yeah, the bill hasn't had royal assent, so the still subject to change it's quite unusual for i think it's quite unusual for the bill to change in a way that's contrary to the policy intent it'll change in a way that makes the policy intent work so i don't see them changing their mind and suddenly saying okay you are losing your protection sort of thing but i'm cautious so i'd probably wait royal assent normally happens prior to parliament rising for the summer and that's the 20th of july this year most finance acts get royal assent in July. If you ever need to guess what date something happened in a tax year, it's usually worth guessing July or March, because things normally apply from when the budget started or when it gets royal assent. Brilliant. Thank you. Right, stand by for a few links. We'll pop a link into the Energy Wealth website now where you can download a copy of the slides. You can get an hour's CPD um, on all sorts of other resources. There's links off to a lot of the calculators and the ProAdvisor website that Les has built. Um, don't forget, um, you can book probably on Friday for our Consumer Duty Special, uh, which is happening next week. 
Um, if you want to come and learn some more kind of soft skills type things, we've got our personal development power ups of power planners on the 12th of May. Uh, you can book a place for that on our website as well. And you can keep the conversation going on the big tent as always. Massive thank you to Les, uh, who's come from Exeter to Bristol and now going from Bristol back up to Scotland. So um, thank you for uh, giving us yeah. a time. Going back up to Scotland, yeah. And uh, sharing your expertise as always. Thanks for all the great comments and questions um, in the chat room. It's been very active today. It's great to see everyone taking part. Um, and thank you for joining in. Have a good afternoon and we will see you again very soon. Goodbye.